Hello and welcome back to Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. I'm your host, CJ Baumgartner, and the last podcast we left off on was a little bit of a sour note in Carlos Correa announcing that he was going to go to the Giants, and well, that quite didn't happen. I'm not breaking any news here that Correa going from the Giants to the Mets, or is it? That, that thing is still up in doubt. I'm not revealing any new information. If you've been following the Twins, you know that Correa is expected to be a New York Met, obviously on a deal much lower. And I just want to go on record and say, now the circumstances are a little bit different, but when I was the, tw- obviously the Giants offer of 350 for 13 years or whatever nonsense it was, obviously far and away the best offer anyone was going to pay. The Giants were willing to overpay for Carlos Correa. There's no realistic scenario where the Twins could have competed outside of maybe, like I said, offering 315 for 11 years or something and saying, look, man, when you consider taxes and all that kind of stuff, it comes a little bit more in your favor, but he's not going to turn down that kind of money. He'd be dumb not to. So then, but I still said like two, I said 10 years for 285 was not going to do it. You're going to need to get to 300 million because if you would have made it closer, maybe you would have gotten him to sign before the Giants overpaid. Maybe. I don't know. That's a little bit of little bit of hindsight thinking there, but he's set to go to the Mets on what I believe is an 11-year, $315 million deal. So like, guys, I was kind of in that ballpark of what a deal would take to sign Carlos Correa. Keep in mind, by the way, that Minnesota state tax is still not as high as New York state income tax, and especially not California. So again, I said like that number could have gotten you to Carlos Correa. Maybe the twins always would have got out, uh, gone out, gotten outbid in the end. There's the word. But I don't know. I still think that my whole point on Carlos Correa, and I, I hate that I'm wasting a lot of offseason energy on this now that the saga pretty much is over, but I still think that that would have done it. And I still think the Twins, why they thought that 10 for 285 was going to be enough to land him, or why like they could have always had that offer hanging around and went and go tried to pursue other free agents. Why did they hang their whole offseason on that? They still could have made another move outside of Correa. They still could have competed for a Carlos Rodon. They still could have tried to sign a Nate Valdi. They still could have tried to sign a Corey Kluber. They still could have tried to sign a Mitch Haniger. They still could have tried to sign almost any other person on the board. Uh, a Cody Bellinger. You there? Um, now maybe all these guys don't fit. Some. My point is to say that they pretty much sat out on free agency and said, "Carl, we're going to focus on Carlos Correa. He's the fish we want to get to." And then they came up empty. And they didn't get anything to bite otherwise because they focused all of their energy on Correa. But Correa wasn't going to sign for less than $300 million, especially not when you saw the Bogarts deal. And we touched on this a little bit in the reaction podcast that the Bogarts deal might have hurt the Twins more than anything. But still, when you look at it, why I I still think you needed Carlos Correa was going to want three hundred million dollars. That was just going to be the reality. Now maybe the double digit years, maybe you, the Twins would have done it if it was for nine years because it would have been a shorter time frame. Maybe that would have worked in their favor. But you were going to have to go ten years plus three hundred million dollars, and they just weren't willing to do that. But anyway, so my point is, I'm not right on everything, seldom ever. 
if I'm being completely honest. But that one I was right about with the Twins and with Correa and with everything that it was going to take to sign him, that the Twins were well short, so why were they wasting their time? Uh, if that's all the, if that was the best they could do, they should have just said, hey, man, like this is the best we can do. We need to be straight with you. Is this something you're interested in? Now you got to raise it higher. Okay, all right, we're out, man. Best of luck. Would not have liked that answer, but at least if the Twins would have... See, this is the thing with Bryce Harper. When Bryce Harper left the Nationals in free agency, they went out and they got Patrick Corbin. Now, he was the starting pitcher for the Diamondbacks. Now, he ended up washing, and that contract doesn't look so great in hindsight, but I think the thing to remember was that the Nationals are like, okay, we're not going to get Bryce Harper, so let's move on. They didn't really entertain anything. He pretty much was not going to go to Washington. So the Nationals pivoted right away. They didn't waste their time. They knew that if they couldn't get, now it's a little bit different because Bryce Harper was there for a long time. They had a lot of time to work out a deal. They could have traded him. They didn't, whatever. I still think at the end of the day that the Nationals made the right choice in going like, all right, we're going to bolster our roster in different ways. Now, Patrick Corbin, again, he wasn't the big reason why they won the World Series, but he still was a part of that team and still was a meaningful role in it because their idea was let's maximize the pitching staff because they had Max Scherzer and they had Steven Strasburg and then they had Patrick Corbin as a number three starting pitcher on that team, which made them very good considering at the time he was considered a number one type of starting pitcher. Maybe not like a top five in all of baseball, but still a good pitcher who was definitely well above the number three spot on a rotation in 2019. And so that's where the Twin is. If you weren't going to get Carlos Correa, at least justify to the fan base that you could go out and make some other moves. They had salary flexibility. And it's not like this year was... There was expectations for this year. The Twins expect to compete this year. They expect to, to do things this year. 2023 is a year that they kind of had circled. When you look at how bad 2021 was, you kind of said, okay, well, like, all right, that's a wash. Maybe get some of the guys from the 2019 core out of here. Now let's let some of these prospects get up. It's their time. It's Falvin's uh, prospects. They're here. Let's see what they can do. 2022, let's get their feet wet. Everybody got hurt. So that quite didn't happen. But now 2023 should be the year. Everybody's got some big league experience. Let's see what happens. And they just didn't quite do that. And now as you look, in the uh, Carlos Correa saga, it looks like he still is going to be a New York Met. Here's the thing. He is going to be a New York Met. I am pretty confident in that because I think both sides now have a vested interest to not turn their back on this. They they both have a vested interest to stay involved in this situation because if you're the Mets, your owner has already publicly commented on the signing, which is kind of a which isn't like a it's taboo because of things like this. It just makes you look bad if things fall through. Uh, there's certain like uh, ar- like if you go to arbitration, it doesn't necessarily help out teams. So the league told teams not to not do that. Steve Cohen doesn't care what teams think. Obviously, with the way that he passed his own luxury tax threshold, uh, by far, if, Car- if the Carlos Correa deal goes through, the Mets will be paying $111 million in luxury tax payments alone, which is insane to think about. But they are, so they have a vested interest in keeping Carlos Correa. Outside of the optics of the situation, they just need another bat. The New York Mets team had some great pitching last year, but their hitting was bad. They could not, and especially their power hitting, they missed a thumper in the middle of their lineup. They could not 
hit the ball for power at all. And that just wasn't going to hold up in the playoffs. And you saw it come back to bite them against the San Diego Padres in that wild card series. So when you look at all of that, they need Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa just turned down $350 million from the Mets to pivot and go to New York. He can't pivot again and go, what, back to the Twins? Scott Boris isn't going to allow that. Where is he going to go? What other team is going to offer him money at this point? The the Cubs? They already gave money to Dansby Swanson to play shortstop. I know he could technically play third, but I don't see the Cubs doing that. The Cardinals? Not, not really. They just spent a bunch of money uh, on Wilson Contreras. The Dodgers are waiting for Otani. The Padres have already got money. The, the Rangers are already have their infield situation taken care of. There isn't really a lot of options outside of the Twins who just can't pay Carlos Correa what the Mets are going to pay, even though the Mets are only paying $315 million compared to the $350 million. So I think all in all, Carlos Correa wants this deal to work, even if he has to take a little bit less money, to maybe gets like 310 305 or maybe there's some injury protections, maybe all that money is, you know, whatever. Maybe it's very front-loaded, I don't know. I don't know what how this deal gets worked out, if there's insurance protections, if maybe all of his money isn't guaranteed towards the back half of his career, whatever. Because the thing with Carlos Correa is he has a, a, a fibula injury, a tibula injury, tib and fib uh, kind of deal when he slid into the bases in 2014, slid into third base, and that he has a plate in there. And even in, when he was in, with the Twins, there was a time last year, I believe in September, when he walked off the field and he kind of told reporters after the game, like, hey, guys, I'm all right. My plate was just kind of vibrating. I just needed to take a breather, but I'm all right. And the Twins never really got to look at it too much because the Twins were only signing him on a one-year contract. That physical just wasn't going to be that extensive at all. So they were only looking like, can you play for this year? All right, cool. There was no long-term injuries because they knew it was only a one-year deal. If you're the Giants or if you're the Mets, you're not messing around. You're going to sign this guy for 12 years. You're going to do a very thorough physical. So it you're going to make sure that if you're going to pay, especially if you're the Giants, if you're going to pay a guy 30-plus million dollars when he's 41 years old, you better make sure he can play baseball at 41 years old. Uh, because you can't play shortstop and third base if your ankle doesn't work. You can maybe play first base, but at what point, what good are you? If you're Carlos Cray, if you can't really move your ankle, if you can't really do a lot with that, it's very important not just to your mobility as a defender, but also to hitting and, and everything like that. So that's why uh, that part of the Correa uh, thing fell through. Now for the Twins, and that's why the Twins never looked at it, that deeply because they really didn't imagine they'd be in this situation and they aren't. So they only needed him for a year. They got what they got. And now he's moved on. This isn't a deal with Carlos Correa where everybody's worried about year one, year two, year three. Everybody's worried about year nine, 10, 11 in this contract. And that's what they're worried about. And they want to make sure that that investment is still good way down the line. Now, if you're the twins, they were Boris. Now, according to Darren Wolfson, uh, Boris, Carlos Correa's agent did come back to the Twins after the Giants thing fell through and said, hey, guys, what's up? The Twins said, hey, our offer is still the same at the moment. And also, we're going to need to look at some medical history. And we're going to need to figure out why the Giants were so concerned. They were all gung-ho about signing this guy. What, what happened? 
You know, like there needs to be some digging here. We need to take a look. And Boris wasn't looking for that. The Mets were quick to jump. So whatever. Now, I'm upset that the Twins didn't re-engage and didn't do whatever. I, I still think the Twins should have made a better attempt to get Carlos Correa, but that's on a gut-level feeling. I can get why people disagree with that. I still think they should have. I still think bringing Carlos Correa back would have been the right move. I think you tackle the future when you get to the future, uh, whatever. But it's not my money. It's not my job that's on the line if Carlos Correa washes out after year three because his ankle hurts so bad. Whatever. I get the reasons why not to sign him. I get the reasons why the Twins themselves would bow out of this to say, you know what? There's some questions about his health. Maybe this is a blessing in disguise. And you know what, Scott Boris? We don't know if we really want to deal with this right now. Do we really want to waste another week or two of free agency into dumping our efforts into trying to sign Correa if you're just going to use us as leverage into signing uh, into him signing with the Mets. Are you really going to have some good faith negotiation, Scott Boris, or are you just going to talk to us to see if you can get an extra $10 million from the Mets? Because that could realistically happen. That could. Now, maybe things would have worked out. Maybe the Twins should have be more good faith. But also, I can definitely see the reasoning behind why they would tell Boris to take a hike. So that's really all I have to say about Correa. But the one last thing is if you're going to tell Boris, take a hike, we're going to focus our efforts elsewhere, and then you don't do anything, then what's the point? Because so far, it's like, okay, all right, maybe pivot to Carlos Rodon. Well, Rodon was already too far down the line with the Yankees. He's going to New York. That problem, uh, if you're the Twins, is gone. Or that issue of trying to sign Rodon is gone because he's off the market. Uh, Evaldi. The pitcher, starting pitcher for Boston. He's off the market. He is going to Texas. Corey Kluber just announced today uh, that he is going to the Red Sox. So there's another option off the board if you're the Twins. Really, all of the impact free agents that the Twins could have signed are gone. There's nobody that really moves the needle for this team. Maybe there's a depth signing here and there. Maybe there's a guy that can contribute when a starter's on on IL, or maybe a reliever who can come up every you know once a month and make a couple appearances and do some good for you. But in terms of real impact players, there's just not anything in free agency left anymore. And this is why, if this is why again, I can understand why the Twins gave up their their Correa adventure after how everything played out, but also, like, what more do you have to wait on? It's not like you're just sitting all day talking to Correa's reps. You can still do other stuff, and especially if free agency's off the board, it's not like you have to navigate with a bunch of other agents. You can you can still have your meetings with Boris, and you can still do all this kind of stuff without without all that. I don't know. It's a stretch. I get it. I get if you don't, if, if you're not like me and you didn't think the Twins should have made the extra effort for Carlos Correa, but if you're just the Twins, where do you go from here? Because you have to go to the trade market. Now, the Twins' farm system isn't bad, but it's not top tier. Their top prospects graduated. They're now big league players. They're part of the Twins' core, and any prospects they thought of trading away in the high minors are gone. They burned them, getting Tyler Malley and Michael Fulmer and and Pablo Lopez. Like, they're, they're off the board. So what do you do now if you're the Twins? Who is your tradable prospect? It has to be your Major League players. It has to be Max Kepler. It has to even potentially be Luisa Rice. Now, I'm much more apt for trading Kepler, and it seems more likely than not he'll be gone sometime soon. But again, Falvey and Levine, 
like to wait until the last moment. They couldn't. They waited until opening day last year to make a trade, or less than 24 hours from opening day to trade the team's best reliever. So, or at, at the time, obviously now Duran's the best reliever, but we didn't know how good he was at that point. So, this team likes to be patient. But my only thing is, and this shouldn't matter, but it kind of does, and, and this is with Correa too. If you're going to try and make a splash, if you're going to try and do something, if you're going to try and get buy-in from the fans, this is some of the stuff you have to do. Because right now, I'm not saying the Twins are going to be bad, and this is a discussion that's happening on Twitter with the Twins right now. The Twins are not a bad baseball team as constructed, and we're going to get to that in our roster breakdown in a second here. Uh, promise we're not going to talk Correa the whole time. But this just goes with the Twins' approach to this offseason. They're not a bad team. They're actually going to compete. I think second place in this division right now seems likely for them. So they're going to compete. They're going to be a decent baseball team. They're not the Kansas City Royals. They are a good ball club. They have a direction. They have a young core that's ascending. When you look at the Joe Ryans and when you look at the Bailey Obers and then you also look at the Durans and then you look at the Kirilovs and the Larnicks and the Lewis and the Brooks Lee will be on the way at least for 2024. So there is some stuff to get excited about with this current Twins core. Royce Lewis is going to come back by the All-Star break, it seems like. So there is some things to be excited about for this Twins team. They have the batting champ, the Cy Young, uh, they have the batting champ, the Silver Slugger, excuse me, and they have an All-Star in Luis Arise and Byron Buxton. And if Byron Buxton, again, even just plays at the same level he did last season in the same amount of games, that's still going to provide some value for the Twins. So there, this team isn't trash, but this team was a couple players away from really having a chance to go for it. Carlos Correa could have been that guy. Carlos Rodon, we talked about at the top of this rotation, could have been that guy. And the Twins, they were never going to land DeGrom, and they were never going to land Verlander. But there's still some ways the Twins could have went about it to make themselves more competitive, and right now they're in a tough spot. But they are a solid team as currently constructed. They're just, we just don't quite know where it's going to be. I know uh, Nash Walker on Twitter and a couple other guys have made the point of maybe the 2018 to 19 Twins is kind of how we feel about this team because the 2019 Twins, they won 100 games out of nowhere. I think I remember saying that team was going to compete for the American League Central and probably win it, but I didn't think they were going to win 100-plus games and break the home run record. I thought they were going to be a sneaky 94-win team that gets into the that wins the American League Central. So there's they could do that where all of a sudden, because it had Max Kepler, Miguel Sano, all like have great years. So you could see a Kirilov or you could see a Larnick or you could see a Jose Miranda have like a breakout season and good things stem off of that. But the Twins team needs a little bit of a push and right now it's going to have to come through the trade market and their farm system just isn't that great. So they're going to have to give up some major league prospects, uh, not prospects rather, but they're going to have to give up some major league players. And who do they feel is worthy of giving up and Max Kepler's expected. I don't think the fan base will be that upset once Kepler leaves because the Twins have an overabundance of left-handed hitting corner outfielders when you look at Alex Kirilov, Trevor Larnick, uh, now new twin Joey Gallo, all three of them, even Matt Walner, all four corner outfielders who are left-handed. And all, by the way, don't really hit righties. So Kyle Garlick is still your man when it comes to a, a left-handed pitcher on the mound. So there's not really... Uh, 
the point is the Twins have an embarrassment of riches at a position you really don't need an embarrassment of riches for. And by the way, who knows if Joey Gallo is even going to be good. I know you can predict a bounce back season for him. Maybe that's in the cards. I'm not against it. I got nothing against Joey Gallo. I just think he's Miguel Sano that can actually play right field. Or at least at his worst, he's that player. And he played like Miguel Sano, who stands out in right field last year. Now, maybe there's a bounce back season. I can see the the theory behind that. He's got very good raw power skills. He's a decent fielder. There are some things where you can justify yourself into that Joey Gallo isn't a bad signing. Joey Gallo itself isn't a bad signing for the Twins. It's a one-year, $10 million-ish deal. That's, that's fine. They could have done that with Correa, though. If Joey Gallo is the prized pig that you got in the offseason, man... That's not going to win over the fan base. There's a, a small subsect of people who are really excited about Gallo, but in terms of the casual fan and in terms of just building excitement for what this team can be in 2023, there's just not that. And coming off a year where you couldn't sell Target Field to save your life, couldn't sell tickets to, to there, and then you take out Carlos Correa and how bad last season ended, how many people are really going to be excited to come out and watch this Twins club, especially considering Royce Lewis, the most electric prospect the Twins had? Maybe you could say Brooks Lee, but he, but Royce Lewis got to the majors and played well. He's not going to come back till the All-Star break. Who knows how what the Twins record will be there? Maybe they'll be in contention. Maybe the season will be over by then. How are you going to get butts in seats? How are you going to get excitement for this Twins team? It's things that don't matter, but they kind of do in terms of a business and in terms of how the ball club operates. But my point is Joey Gallo itself isn't a bad signing, but if Joey Gallo is all you have to show for this off season, that's an F that's a, that's a flat out F. Now I know there's some minor moves here and there, but, and I know Falvey and Levine like to surprise us and they like to wait. So I'm not going to say this off season is over, but again, the twins had the possibility to be a good team, but if Joey Gallo's your one signing in the offseason, the one guy who's a plug-and-play starter probably takes Kepler's spot in right field, which is fine. But if that's all you have to show for it, Kirloff and Larnick are great prospects. I think they're going to be good players. I think Kirloff in AAA showed when that wrist was healthy he can hit the ball around the yard, and I think that'll translate to the major leagues. But if he can't, if he struggles again or if he gets hurt again, and the same goes with Larnick, who outside of Jose Miranda is the bright young hitting prospect you can tout because Royce Lewis is hurt? Kirilov and Larnick both have had rough starts to their careers, not their fault, due to injury. So there's some things about this team that are just a little shaky, and they can, they're going to be a good team. They're going to compete. I'm going to expect them to be a good ball club and to win more games than they'll lose next year just on the fact that they'll be healthier and things will be a little bit better. Some of their young hitters will have more experience. We'll have a full season of Miranda, whatever. But they got to figure some things out. They have to figure some things out. And I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know where they go to address this team outside of maybe, maybe finding a DH, although maybe Gallo slips into that DH role. I don't know. The Twins are going to have to go to the trade market to probably... And all this is to say, by the way, they're going to have to go into the trade market to find maybe they still need another right-handed bat to add into the fold for sure, uh, in my eyes. And then they need a an ace starting pitcher, which don't come around everywhere. So maybe they don't get to that. But outside of that, we have not even talked at all this offseason about how the Twins have basically done nothing with the bullpen. 
They've done nothing with it. They're, they're just leaving it as the unit to say, well, you know, Pagan is a bounce back year. And if you look at, uh, uh, you know, Pablo Lopez might have, he might have a, a bounce back year for him. And then we're sitting pretty. I don't know, guys. Jorge Alcala coming back as well. I love Jorge Alcala. I think he'll be good when he comes back. I think Duran has the make to show that he can produce what he did again. I don't think that's a stretch to say Duran's, Duran's going to be good again. But Emilio Pagan is back. And you don't bring him back to just be a mop-up guy. Because there are several mop-up guys you can find off waivers anywhere in the league. So they expect Pagan to at least be some kind of, not maybe the closer or the eighth inning guy, but they still expect him to be an important part of this bullpen. And I just want to know where some of these innings are going to come from for some of these top guys. So the bullpen, they really haven't done anything to address because maybe that was the thing. Maybe you can't get a bona fide ace, but make yourself a super bullpen. Go out and get somebody. Maybe they still could in the trade market. Go out and get somebody, not a not a sneaky diamond in the rough guy. Go get somebody who you expect and has a pedigree of being a good reliever and make a Super Bowl pen with Duran and with Lopez and set it up like that. So that way you can uh, make it easier for your pitchers. The thing with the Twins was they always wanted five-inning starters, and then they were shocked when their bullpen was drained because they really didn't invest that much into the bullpen. So maybe that's the way to go. But there's just a lot of questions. And Falvin likes to work slow. Falvin and Levine like to take their time. So we might not know what the answer quite is until March, which is frustrating. But what do you do? So let's wrap up the podcast by doing something that I've teased about the last couple times but never got around to because of some of the, uh, because of some of the events that have gone on in Twins territory. Um, a positional recap. We're going to try and go through all of the position groups and see where the Twins stand in each category. And we're going to start off with the starting pitchers. Right now, if we're kind of going to rank the Twins' top maybe 10 or so-ish players in terms of starting pitchers throughout the organization, I'm going to say on my list, number one is a spot I left blank in case maybe the Twins got Rodon or maybe got a higher-end starting pitcher. As of right now, that hasn't happened. So Joe Ryan is still probably your guy. He's still probably the one guy who's the best out of all of them, at least maybe most promising in that regard, who's already flashed some big league experience. Joe Ryan is up there. Sonny Gray is up there as well. Uh, veteran, kind of savvy. He's got the respect in that clubhouse, it feels like. Then Tyler Malley, number three. I'm still very high on Malley. I hope the Twins can work out some kind of maybe short-term extension to keep him around. Maybe Mally banks on having a good year before he hits free agency. I don't know. I, we'll see what happens this year with Mally, but I put him at number three. Then Bailey Ober, who was hurt a lot of last year, but I still think could be a really good pitcher. Chris Paddock, guy who missed all last year due to Tommy John. We're not going to see him for the first part of 2023 as well. Kenta Maeda missed all of last year recovering from Tommy John. It'll be interesting to see now that he gets back fully healthy. He didn't come into play at the end of last season. So where does Kenta fit into this mold? Is he still kind of that top starting pitcher? Does he move to the back of the rotation? Does he even move to the bullpen? Maybe that's the move for the Twins to try and create the bullpen uh, that they want, a super bullpen and putting Maeda back there. He did it before with the Dodgers, but we'll see what happens. Also, he hasn't pitched since 2021 in a live game. Who knows if his stuff's even there. 
Louis Varlin, the nice story of the Concordia St. Paul starting pitcher, uh, another one on this list. I put him down there because we've only seen a handful of starts out of him at the big league level, uh, but still, still a guy that can contribute. Josh Winder, a guy who was promising early, had some injuries, kind of derail his season. A guy that when he even came up, a lot of people suspected he'll be in the bullpen, and maybe that's something that does wind up in his future. So Josh Winder uh, could, again, be part of that Kenta Maeda going to the bullpen and giving you some long relief if you're only going to let your starters go five innings or if that's the route you want to take. Uh, Simeon Woods-Richardson, we saw him make one start. I put him second to last in kind of my category of MLB-ready twins. He made one start, maybe two, wasn't very promising, but uh, wasn't very promising based on the results, but take it with a grain of salt. It was the end of the year. It was a wash. We'll see what he does now with a full season under his belt uh, at the big league level or with expecting to come in and get a lot of big league innings next season. Jordan Belazovic was a guy who was expected to reach the big leagues at some point in 2022, but he played so horribly. He threw the ball so bad. His ERA was like nine, and that wasn't because of one bad start. It was consistently up there. He was consistently getting knocked around the yard, so a, a bad season for him. He was one of the Twins expected to be top prospects and just didn't quite pan out that way it still can maybe he still can turn it around everybody's got bad seasons in the minors before maybe he needed that maybe he's got to work on some things maybe he was hurt I don't know but that's where things stand with this position group they didn't add anybody to they didn't even bring in the classic twins usually bring in like a minor league uh, deal guy somebody who's expected to maybe kind of be that camp arm somebody who they sign on a minor league deal but it's a wink and nod you'll basically get in on the big league rotation as long as you pitch well in spring training so we'll see if the twins still end up bringing in one of those guys i don't think that's on the horizon considering this position group is so young and there's so many of them there's no need to bring in one of those guys there's a whole lot of decent with this twins rotation i actually think on paper this might be the best twins rotation in a while because last year's we never really got to see. Tyler Malley is better than Chris Paddock, I think, to start the season. So when you look at a rotation that is Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, Tyler Malley, all at the top three, Bailey Ober probably makes the rotation as well, and then you have Maeda, Varland, Winder, Woods, Richardson, and Belazovic all competing for that fifth starter spot, I think that ends up being a decent rotation for you. I think the Twins can win some games with that. Do I think that it's, you know, Scherzer, Verlander, do I think it's uh, that setup? No, obviously not. There's no bona fide ace on this team, but there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot of decent, but not a whole lot of top tier prospects. A lot to choose from, but there's no ace on the roster, and there's no big arm starting pitcher on the horizon that's expected to come up. Maybe one of these guys is a diamond in the rough that comes out and has a great year, but outside of that, I don't really see anything materializing on that front, especially even when you look at Steamer and they predict for all of these guys. I looked up all of their predictions for 2023. They're expecting all of them to take a bit of an ERA bump next season. I don't think there's any one of these guys whose ERA is expected to be less than it was in 2022 so a little bit of trepidation there a little bit to be worried about but it's just projections so don't you know look at it see what they say but don't it's not a for sure it's not a for sure thing don't read too much into that i still think it's going to be a competent group um 
this is why, again, we said finding Rodon or some kind of ace option makes this rotation a very competitive one. Even trading for a Pablo Lopez for Miami, he's an ace-type pitcher, but he probably is a year or two away from really blossoming into that, but could still be a very useful for the team. Um, just one, one ace makes this team so much more competitive. Because, again, Joe Ryan, a number two starter, Awesome. Sonny Gray, number three starter, or Tyler Malley, a number three starter, above their pay grade, like we talked about with Patrick Corbin. Above your pay grade uh, to be in that spot, but you can excel at it, at it. And the Twins just don't have that setup at the moment. It's not a bad rotation for 2023. It's a very competitive one. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's one that can compete, I should say. Uh, it's a competent rotation. I don't think there's one part of it that scares you, but there's not one as a major league lineup that you see that really scares you. They present a tough challenge, but there's nobody out there. You're not like, oh my goodness, Bailey Ober's on the mound today. Like, it's all over now. Or Joe Ryan's on the mound. Like, uh-oh, he looks like the bad guy from a from a late 80s movie about trying to save the rec center when he wears, like, that turtleneck. Anyway, I'm off course. But the Twins have a competent rotation at the moment, not a... World Series competitive one, not one that screams a unit that can go deep in the postseason. Maybe the Twins run in with this rotation and hope to be good at the trade deadline and go make a move for somebody at that point. That's in play. It's not a bad rotation for 2023. We do need to figure out, if you're the Twins, if there needs to be some some stepping up here from some of your younger guys. Can Jorion actually become an ace, or is he just kind of in that Jose Barrios realm of really good, but like kind of hovers in that two and three starter range. He can't quite crack ace, but he's pretty close, you know, but he's never quite going to get there. Something's always, he's always going to have a run of bad starts or he's always going to have a, he's always just not going to be able to, to, to keep the ball in the yard or whatever it is that will prevent Joe Ryan from not becoming an ace or maybe Mally doesn't mold into that. But my point is you kind of need to figure out if anybody will, because Mally gray and, Maeda are all set to be free agents after this season and the rotation looks a lot differently if all of a sudden it's Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober, Chris Paddock, Louis Varlin, Josh Winder. That is a that is a shaky rotation unless you see more stepping up of your pitchers in 2022 unless you see those guys all take strides or or at least see one or two of them really take a stride and then you can kind of patchwork it from there because the Twins realistically should have some salary to work with, but putting in all of this, the starting rotation is as deep as I've ever seen it. And that should be a credit to Falvey and Levine. They did get it as a deep unit. There are some guys who you can be excited about. Josh Winder, maybe not, maybe not Simeon Woods Richardson, maybe even not Belazovic at this rate. Uh, Louis Varlin's got some intrigue. And Bailey Ober has some intrigue on how good he can actually be. Uh, Joe Ryan, what is, we talked about again, is he gonna can he step up into that ace caliber or will he always kind of hovers that two three starter at his ceiling? What is it like for these young guys? And Falvey and Levine brought him in, whether it's through trade, like with Ryan and Simeon Woods Richardson, whether it's through drafting, whether it's through uh, you know, just finding a guy who played in Concordia St. Paul and bringing him in like Louis Varland, whether it's bringing in a trade for uh, like Kenta Maeda. Uh, there's a lot of things that the Twins have done to try and beef up the starting rotation. It's competent, but how competitive can it be when you're really competing for the playoffs? So I think that this rotation is good enough 
as long as your lineup hits, as long as Kirilov and Larnik and all those guys be major league players, I think that rotation can keep you in ball games. You'll have to lean more on your offense a little bit, but I think that can keep you in ball games. So I don't know. That's my assessment of this team. It's a decent rotation. It's middle of the pack, I think. And depending on how much, how depending on how high up that can go from there, depends on how good these starting pitchers are. These young arms end up becoming because if you can if you can get some innings out of them, if you can prove they're good pitchers, I think the Twins will let them go into the sixth and seventh inning. I don't think they loved the five inning strategy either. I think it just felt like it was their best hand. Now I could be wrong. But I don't think Rocco loves taking guys out in the fourth inning. I don't think that's something he enjoys doing. I don't think that's a philosophy they really want to embrace. I think they kind of just felt like they had to because Bundy and Archer kept getting hit all around the ballpark. When Gray was hurt, he deservedly shouldn't have gotten past the fifth inning. So there's when you look at Rocco in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, Pulling starters early wasn't a calling card that they were doing. Now, there were some analytically minded things, but they weren't pulling guys in the fourth inning every other day like they were in 2022. It was more of a microcosm of how that rotation, how bad their rotation was, especially on the back end, that they felt like they had to do that. So I think if they take a step forward, you're going to get more innings out of your rotation. I think if you get more innings out of your rotation, it makes your bullpen look a little bit better. You don't have to rely on those guys as much, even though I still think the Twins should invest at least something into this bullpen other than an Emilio Pagan extension. But this can be a unit that can keep the Twins around the 500 mark and in contention. And whatever happens with the lineup will be something we'll need to figure out and we'll investigate as we get closer and closer into 2023 and closer to the 2023 season. All right, it's fun to get back on the podcast, guys. We'll try and have something coming out soon as a follow-up to this. And who knows, maybe Carlos Correa will sign with the Twins for that 285 number. If they can do that, hey, that's a that's a Christmas or a New Year's or a, a Kwanzaa miracle. I don't know. I'll, I'll take it if it means Correa's back in a Twins uniform. But... Uh, You know, life goes on. So we have more bombs away coming up around the horizon. Appreciate you guys for listening.